Hello, this is Erin Weir. The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with my co-host, Gail Dobie of Gail Dobie Coaching and Consulting. What if you could double your revenues without increasing your marketing, networking, or cold calling? Does that sound too good to be true? It might be more doable than you imagine. You just have to think differently about your business. Our guest today is Marty M. Funky. And for over 30 years, Marty's career has been one big adventure, starting in the call center space and eventually moving into the real estate investments to becoming one of the pioneers of online marketing, to helping launch the international infomercial business, and then finding early success in social media marketing. Along the way, Marty's marketing efforts have sold over $1 billion in goods and services and over $300 million in business acquisitions and divestitures, including over a dozen business acquisitions in 2020 and 2021 alone. With this background, Marty, also known as the adventurous marketer, is uniquely qualified to help you, our listeners, understand the value and power of growing your business through mergers and acquisitions, no matter how big or small your company is now. So close all your apps, tune up your volume to 11, and pay close attention to today's interview with Marty M. Funky, the adventurous marketer. Marty Fonke, it's only been how many years since we've seen each other in person? (laughs) Well, as we just figured out uh, recently, it was 2008 when we met, the one and only time we met. Mm -hmm. So that's been, uh, I don't know, I'm not very good at math. I don't know. What is that? How many years? 13 years. (laughs) (laughs) We were just, uh, I think that was so amazing that you were actually one of our people that works with people who are interested in working with us, Yasmin Bijan. I don't know if you remember her. She's been working with us for quite a long time. Oh, cool. And, and so anyway, she was there and you were there. And that's when we were, that's, we declared that we were going to start our company. And so at that time we were called Design Success University. I, oh, I remember that. Yep. Yeah. Well, good memory. So um, <laughs> that was so interesting that you were there for that as well. And here we are 13 years later. And the way that we kind of reconnected is I just happened to be on LinkedIn one day and I noticed that you had followed me and or you had checked out my web or my uh, page. And so I reached out to you and then you asked how we ended up connecting. And it was so funny. And we've had a conversation since then, which was just fascinating and interesting. And I had to have you on the podcast because I felt like you have some really incredible information that you can share with our listeners. And uh, I'll learn a lot during this time as well. So, so happy to have you here. Well, I'm excited to be here. And, and yeah, the, the history is kind of interesting. So we met at a conference in San Francisco, 2008, that was all about doing teleseminars, webinars, <laughs> interviews, things like that. And here we are. 13 years later, and you're interviewing me on Zoom, which didn't even exist back in 2008. 
But it's really cool for me to see you using the skills that you both were learning clear back then when you were first thinking, how do I break out of my interior designer mode and into business building mode? And here you are using those skills and, and, and very effectively. And so that's actually what made us pick up later on is that you posted uh, an episode that you and Aaron had done about, I think it was just overcoming the pandemic or overcoming 2020 or it was something, it was something like that, that wasn't interior design. Cause I'm not an interior designer. So I, you know, a lot of that stuff doesn't apply to me, but this was very business oriented. And I'm like, Oh, that's, that's, that's an interesting topic. I want to hear that. So I listened to your podcast and, and I think I liked it or commented on it on LinkedIn and that's what triggered it to say, Hey, Marty just came out of the woodwork, but it was a great podcast. And I've listened to several other episodes since then that you've done. And you both just do such a fantastic job. I love your energy and your dynamic that you work together and the dynamic that you have with your guests. And I'm just really honored to be here. So thank you. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, we're excited to reconnect with you and we can't wait until you come to Colorado and we can do something fun when you come. Awesome. I'm in Colorado all the time too. Oh, so well, I, I, we'll, we'll for sure connect. Yeah. <laughs> We've been in Colorado more than we'd like in the last yeah. year. So we're ready to get on the, we'll get on the plane. I've actually started hearing about people getting to go on trips and be on airplanes and making it back and they're safe and they're healthy. So we're excited for travel. Yeah. I, I did. I did a business trip in November, which was the one and only business trip I did in all of 2020. And it was really nice to go do that. I had a flu, I had some meetings, everything went well. And I haven't been on anything in 2021, but I just got invited to go speak in Dubai. And so wow. I guess I'm going wow. to Dubai to speak. And so I'm really excited about that. I have not been to Dubai um, yet. So that's a, a new adventure I get to get to go on. So I'm super excited for that. Ooh, exciting. Yeah. Well, you know, I haven't gotten to be a part of all the conversations and catch up that you and Gail have been on lately. And so would you just share a little bit about what you do and what your business is sure. and why you're here today? I love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in, in, in a nutshell, uh, I create money out of thin air for businesses and, and that can be in a number of different ways. So historically, my way of creating money for businesses has been in management consulting, um, finding operational efficiencies, marketing consulting, coming up with new ways to market a product, coming up with uh, alternative revenue sources for a company, things like that. I'm really blessed in, in that I can walk into just about any business and find money laying on the table. That's been very exciting for me for many, many years. And I've kind of been doing that same thing for about 20, 25 years. Um, I've grown a number, of, a number of businesses from scratch to 10, 20, 30 million dollars. I've grown a couple of businesses, one business from 80 million to 600 million and a couple of million uh, businesses from, they were not startup phase, but they were in the one to 3 million range. And we've grown them to 30 to $40 million range. And then a couple of startups. So I love starting business. I love entrepreneurial ventures. I love all things business related. And I, and I love just the creative. Uh, recently, I, I was doing a podcast and I, I, I said a phrase that's never entered my head before, but it's very applicable to your audience. So I am not an artist. I am not a designer. I'm not, a, I couldn't draw a straight line to save my life, but I am an artist in business and business is my canvas. And so for many years, that was all kind of revenue generation driven and sort of fee for service. So if I make you a million bucks, I get some percentage of that million bucks and everybody's happy. The last couple of years, though, I've spent a lot more of my time creating money out of thin air through uh, acquisitions and strategic investments, meaning it's not just about new customer acquisition. It's not just about growing a revenue, uh, revenue in a business organically 
But one of the best ways to increase the value of a business is through acquisitions. And so I spent a lot more time focusing on acquisitions. And that can be on, on very small businesses all the way up to very large businesses and finding ways to add value to a business through acquisitions without laying out a whole lot of cash, by the way, and increasing the value of that business for the shareholders, stakeholders, and owners. So again, more creating money out of thin air, but this time more from a, an investment standpoint than so much from a, a marketing or, or revenue standpoint. Wow. That wow. is so fascinating. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's what I told Aaron. I said, we have to talk to Marty because there are so many of our clients that you know, they're small businesses. We have several though that are in the one to $15 million range that we work with. And they have, some of them are doing multiple types of things. In fact, I was saying yesterday to one of our podcast interviewees that we should connect you because she is looking at doing a lot of growth in her business. So I think that could be a, a very natural progression is to have you talk to some of our people directly because there is so much going on right now in the industry. And I think a lot of people are interested in growing, not just a business in design, but in other areas as well. Absolutely. And, and we're at a time in history, which is unprecedented for this sort of thing. And that is because a couple of things. Number one, there's more turnover and, 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 and tumult in business than there's ever been because of the pandemic and the lockdowns. You've got hundreds of thousands of businesses across the country that have gone out of business, which is, breaks my heart, every single one of them. I've got a number of associates who've been very, very tragically decimated by you know, their businesses and things like that. Mm -hmm. But you've got, on the other hand, you've got other businesses that are thriving through what's happened. Mm -hmm. A lot of e-commerce businesses, things like that. Obviously, the home business is crazy because so many people have been home all year. What you know, Lumber prices are through the roof and you can't get a contractor to save your life and design and people want to expand and grow and make their homes much better than they've ever really worried about because they're spending so much more time there. And a lot of people who used to work in offices, now they know that they're going to be in working from home either full-time or most time. And so there's a whole inward focus. There's so many industries that have just thrived through what's happened lately. The other thing that's happened is that in, when, in 2020, when the lockdowns happen, um, you, you have all this investment money out there. So you have private equity. I, I won't get too detailed into this, but I'll, I'll use some terms that mm -hmm. most people are going to understand. Private equity companies, VCs or venture capital companies, angel investors, family offices. These are organizations who invest in companies or buy companies. Well, when the lockdown started in 2020, they all just ceased business. They're like, we don't know what's going on. The world's gone crazy. We're not putting any money out there. We got to hold on to it. The problem is they've all been given money by their investors to go out and deploy and, and make a return on investment. And when they sat on it, in 2020, they all looked and said, well, we actually lost money. If you have tens of millions of dollars and you leave it in the bank, you will lose money because even the, even the best interest rate is still going to be less than just the measure of inflation, right? So for most of 2020, they sat on this money and they had no way of deploying it without risk. By the end of 2020, and now we're into early, mid-2021, what's happened is you have trillions of dollars, trillions of dollars of money that needs to get deployed. And it needs to get deployed into businesses that have a good opportunity of turning a profit because that needs, that's how these organizations make their money. And so there is right now more investment capital available than any time in our history. 
And that's, that's pretty interesting because most people, when they think of acquisitions, they think of like, you know, big Procter and Gamble or, you know, huge companies acquiring, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. It's not, most acquisitions are, are, are a few hundred thousand dollars or, or at, at most a million dollars constantly. And that kind of money is out there, but people have this kind of thought process, especially smaller business owners that, you know, you have a million dollar business. You think, well, I can't go buy another million dollar business. I don't have a million dollars, right? That's the thought process, but that's not how it works. You could buy another million dollar business for very little to possibly no money out of your own pocket. And now you're a $2 million business. And, wow. and the, the amount of capital that's available to make that happen out there is unprecedented. So it's, a, it's an exciting and energetic time for growth through acquisitions, which is one of the most effective ways of growing a business. The risks are lower than starting up and the rewards are great. And you have built-in revenue, you have built-in employees, built-in processes. So it's a great model to, to do business. Hmm. So fascinating. Well, one of the things you said, said to me when we had our last conversation is that you are working on a billion-dollar deal. Oh. <laughs> Did that happen? It did not happen. Oh, um, no. So, so in the world I play in, um, not every deal goes through. Mm-hmm. And we spent three months on this deal, very, you know, almost full time. And right at the, at the very last minute, another organization came in and outbid us by $65 million dollars took the deal out from underneath us and we, we thought we'd get it back. Okay. Here, let me, let me do some numbers here. So when we, when we came across this deal, which was a wonderful deal, I was super excited about it. Sales price. It it was a, it was a company that uh, was doing a billion dollars in revenue. The sales price was $175 million. Mm. Okay. We raised $175 million in 45 days. Wow. That's the, this was in uh, December and January. That's how much capital's out there was, you know, first phone call, very first phone call, we got 30 million bucks, wow. one call. So 175 million, we're good to go. We're negotiating all sorts of stuff. The company had uh, $6 million in cash in the bank when we were first negotiating. And then as we got closer to the, to the deal closing, they said, oh, we got to figure out what to do with all this cash we have in the bank. And we said, yeah, how much is there now? They said, well, now there's 25 million in cash in the bank because they were just making money hand over fist. So as we're negotiating the cash, then this other company came in, uh, offered $245 million. They did a stock offering and raised $100 million of their own of cash, of their own cash off the, the equity in their company in seven days. And then the wow. rest of it is the rest of it is debt. So it, it, I mean, that's how fast stuff is moving and how how easy it is to raise really mm. large amounts of cash right now out there for investments. So I lost that deal. I'm very bummed about it. I learned a lot. I learned some things not to do so mm. to make sure that a deal like that doesn't get away again. I met several really great investors that, that now I know that if I need to raise 175 million bucks in 45 days, I can do it. And this time it'd probably only take me two weeks. 
it stung though, boy. I, 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 when, when I lost that deal, I sat there for, uh, I sat there for a while, just kind of, <laughs> kind of uh, really <laughs> bummed, but, uh, but, um, you, you win some, you lose some. And that one was one I lost, but uh, mm. so thanks for bringing it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I didn't know that was the case because when I, know, I okay. last talked, you, it looked like it was a deal. It was, it was, it was this close to being good, but I'm glad yeah. you asked about it because I, it, like, this is not, if, if you, if you own a business and you do a marketing campaign, not every marketing campaign works, right? Not every product idea that you come up with is going to be successful. Not every service that you deploy to sell to your customers is going to be successful. Think business is about risk and you mm-hmm. don't win every single time. Matter of fact, uh, when I'm hiring people for any of my companies, if I'm doing an interview, I always ask them, you know, what are your greatest successes? And I always ask them about their greatest failures. And if they haven't had any catastrophic failures, I will not hire them mm. because you learn from the failures more than you learn from the wins. Mm-hmm. Well, and speaking of, you have how many companies now? I, 12. Oh wow. My goodness. Yeah. How, how do you manage that? So I... Every business that I'm acquiring, I want to make sure that I can operate it and add my value to that business in one hour a week. So right now I have 12 hours a week that are on my calendar that are booked out for each business. I use a dashboard for each business so I can look at it 24 hours a day, see know where it is. We can talk a little bit about vertical integration in a little while, but um, Mm -hmm. uh, one of my first acquisitions was a bookkeeping firm. Mm. And which is the bookkeeping firm that I used anyway. Mm-hmm. So I acquired them. And now I try to push all of my businesses to use the same bookkeeping firm that everything's in one place and, and everything else. And you always want to do business with yourself whenever you can anyway. The bottom line is I spend that one hour a week with each business, um, analyzing, coaching, doing what I do, which is create money out of thin air, right? Mm-hmm. And then the, the rest of the team that's operating that business is actually doing the, the day-to-day. Um, I, I don't want any business where I have to be the chief cook and bottle washer. I want a business that I can work above and be strategic and use what I know to be, you know, the coaching that I've always done, the consulting that I've always done, the strategic advisement that I've always done. And I'm often the, 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 the chief salesperson for my companies. So I'm always mm-hmm. going to be out talking to, uh, looking to bring in new business to any of my companies. And so I, I consider myself a salesman for all my businesses because I want them to grow. Mm-hmm. But that's how I do it. Is I, I, did it I, I look at a business and I say, can I run this in one hour a week? And if the answer is no, then I have two choices. I either have to be okay with that, like that $175 million deal. I was not, that was not an hour a week deal. That was mm-hmm. when I was actually going to take over as the president of that company for about two years. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was okay with that is I knew that business could go from a billion dollars to $3 billion in top line revenue. And I had a very clear plan on getting it there. So I was willing to take that role on and really run that as my core focus for a couple of years. But, you know, most businesses, I'm not going to give it that, that kind of attention. But really, you should, every business owner should strive to get their business to where they don't have to be working in that business 60 hours a week or 50 hours a week or even 40 hours a week. If you have a truly successful business, your business should be one that you should be working no more than 20 hours a week in the actual business. And the rest of your time should be spent on creative endeavors and business development and outside activities. Because you can't be fresh and productive if you're grinding out 60 hours a week. You just can't. 
everybody should strive to get their business to that point. Mm. Well, that is, it tells me what my goal needs to be. <laughs> and I'm like, hashtag goals. Goal today. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually am doing way better than I was even a few years ago. And I love that because um, I have an amazing team. It's all about building the right team to me. If you it know is. what your goal is and where you're going to go, and then you find the right people, then it makes it so much fun. I love it. Yeah, yeah you have to have the right people in place doing the right things, right? And you have to trust them and, and let them go do their thing. And, you know, you have to have accountability, but if you have the right people, the, the work gets done. Absolutely right. So tell us a little bit about what investors are looking for. Someone would need to know to be prepared to even talk to an investor. Well, it depends on which side we're talking about. So we're mm -hmm. talking buy side or sell side. Well, probably let's talk about both. Let's start off with the sell side. Okay. Sell side. So this would be somebody's thinking about selling their business. Mm -hmm. You don't, when you sell your business, you don't have to always sell your whole business. There are strategic investments that allow you to take a percentage of your business and sell it and keep the majority or keep the minority, depending on what, what works best, uh, and still retain some control over the business and still retain equity in the business if you do a strategic investment. Or you might sell the whole thing outright. Um, so the first thing to do is figure out what is it that you want to do? Are you wanting to sell your business, move on, do something completely different? Or are you wanting to continue your business, but you want a strategic investment or you want to cash out some of your, uh, you know, some of your hard work and get rewarded for it early. So you need to think about that. Next thing is you want to look at, is your business an owner operated business or is it, is it a hands-off business, which goes back to the earlier talk, right? Owner-operated means I own this business. We do, and most owner-operated businesses tend to be under a million dollars. So, you know, you have an owner who owns the business. They work in that business full-time. Their salary comes out of that business. But if they, if they stopped working, the business would probably fail or wouldn't do, the, it wouldn't do the same kind of revenue as if they were there. That's an owner-operated business. Those are worth far less than non-owner operator businesses, because if somebody's going to come in and invest or if they're going to buy it, well, who's going to run it? So that, that makes that business worth far less. So you want to have a goal of getting your business so that it's not owner operated, so that anybody who buys the business can make it turnkey and own that business and benefit from it without having to also put in their 60 hours a week, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing you want to think about in getting ready is, is in, and I know a lot of your, a lot of your uh, listeners are interior designers who may do um, work with real estate firms and staging and things like that. So they'll understand this term, but you want to stage your business just like you would stage a house for sale. You want your books to be in order. You want standard operating procedures for all of your critical functions that are repetitive good infrastructure on your employees. You want um, a good org chart with, with detailed job descriptions. Basically, you want a business that if somebody's going to buy it and you're going to hand it to them, they have all the manuals and all the information they need to run that business without you having to necessar necessarily be there to, to hold their hands. So just like you would stage a, a home and make it as beautiful as possible, and you want to do the same thing to your business, make it tantalizing to a potential investor or new owner and do all the things that a new owner would look at. And you have to sometimes take off your blinders. Most business owners 
just like homeowners, you know, they don't see the stuff because it's every day. They don't see the cracks in the foundation. They don't see the tiles missing off the roof. They don't see the, the, the ragged carpet business owners are the same way. Well, I've, I've been dealing with this particular vendor for a million years, even though I know that they're charging me more and I don't get any terms and this, and the, you know, the kind of status quo, take a hard look at everything you're doing and get it as ship shape as possible. The next thing is do not list your business with a business broker. Mm. Okay. That's contrary advice than what most people would think. (laughs) I will tell you why. First of all, I I have friends that are business brokers. I work with very few select business brokers. They're not all like this, but I will tell you, most business brokers don't have a freaking clue what they're doing. And they also are paid one way. And that is cash, a percentage of cash that transacts when the business is sold. Because they only have one way of being paid, they, became, they become a gateway or a, a throttle to the types of buyers that could come and acquire your business. Mm. They will block everybody else that's not just getting an SBA loan and writing a check. Well, guess what? That limits your buyers to maybe one in 10. Because if you're more open to other types of deals, earnouts, uh, seller financing, joint ventures, partnerships, uh, strategic investments, like we talked about, lots of other ways of doing it, uh, it really, really creatively, and that may benefit you much more, they will block those deals from getting to you because they can't figure out how to get paid on them. Mm. And so they will actually harm your business from being sold by keeping away good potential buyers. Mm. A little known fact, businesses listed with business brokers in the United States, only 4% of them sell. 96% of businesses listed on business brokerages do not ever sell. I submit there's two reasons for that. Number one, unrealistic sellers who think their business is worth way more than it really is. Number two, the brokers themselves kill the deal. And my personal experience is in in working with a number of them, and now I pretty much refuse to work with them, but it's the brokers themselves that have killed the deals. Wow. So, how do you get the word out that your business is for sale? Well, there's a couple of ways of doing that. Depending on whether you want people to know, if you want to keep it secret, you don't want your employees to know, you don't want your customers to know. You know, there are ways of, there are, there are groups, investment groups on online, on LinkedIn. There are people like me who has uh, privately know of probably a thousand people looking to buy businesses, right? Actually more than a thousand people right now who are actively seeking businesses and have cash in hand to buy them. And it's not a brokerage kind of a deal. It's more, it's more of a networking thing, right? Another way is to, if you're not being secretive about it, which there's, there's reasons to be secretive and there's reason not to be, but oftentimes the best buyers for your business could be your own team or your employees. A lot of times, especially in smaller businesses, I see the number two person or the number three person or, or, or a group of them want to get together. They would love to buy your business. And, and, and you as the business owner can move on, but they never get asked. So sometimes your own employees, your own team members can become your buyers. Sometimes it's your customers. And many times it's somebody in your supply chain. So those are some of the ways of, of selling your business that are kind of outside the box, but very effective. Well, that's, that's really interesting. And so if you're, let's flip the coin and let's talk about the acquisition. So how do you go about acquiring a business these days and what are the things you need to be thinking about with that? That's my favorite part. I love this stuff. dancing on the screen, by the way. I I am. Okay. So first of all, let's talk about the why. I want to talk about the why before I talk about the who, because this is critical. Okay. 
when, when people think of selling, I'm going to read, I'll, I'll refer it back to real estate and houses just because anybody can think about that, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody says, I'm, gonna, I'm thinking about selling my house, so I'm going to find out how much it's worth. So you go get an appraisal and you go out and you get the, the, the appraisal goes out and gets comps and does all this stuff. And they come and say, okay, your house is worth a certain amount of money. And you say, okay, great. I'm going to sell it for that. And you usually come within 10% higher low of that number. Businesses have the same kind of thing. You can do an appraisal on a business, but there's also very easily, very easy ways of actually not even paying for an appraisal and just figuring out what a business is worth. And there are tables out there and all sorts of charts. I've done a little bit of research in the um, interior design space. If your company is under $1 million in top line revenue, mm-hmm. it is worth 2.5% of profit EBITDA. Okay. Let's say you do $80,000 a year in top line revenue at a 15% profit margin. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is 15 to 18% is average in your industry, by the way. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that gives you $120,000 in profit. Mm-hmm. And at a 2.5 multiple, that makes your business worth Mm $300,000. That's not super exciting. Mm -hmm. You have a business that you're doing 800 grand a year. You're putting 120 grand a year in your pocket. And somebody says, I'll buy your business for 300 grand. Not super exciting. But that's for an owner-operated business under a million dollars. Now, Let's just grow this business a little bit to $1.3 million mm-hmm. in top line revenue from 800 to 1.3. You're crossing this magical, mystical $1 million mark, which is a, it's a hard barrier to cross, but it's really just a psychological barrier for most business owners. 1.3 million, same 15% margin. Now you've got $195,000 in profit, mm-hmm. but guess what? Once you cross that magical $1 million mark, your, your multiple goes up to 4.4. Now it's mm-hmm. worth $858,000. Wait a minute. You just went up a couple hundred thousand dollars in top line revenue, but your valuation went up a half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. Now let's go one more step further. $5 million top line revenue. Mm-hmm. Now this is not going to be an owner operated business, right? The odds are that the owners probably they're still slaving away, but they could replace themselves if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Same fifteen percent margin. What's the profit? Seven hundred and fifty thousand. Mm-hmm. Guess what happens to the multiple once you cross that five million dollar mark? What? Now you start to get into a range where private equity money starts to get interested in your business. And you go to a 15.2% multiple. Wow. Oh my gosh. So your $5 million business doing 750000 in profit is now worth $11.4 million. Wow. Whoa. <laughs> okay. So just recently, Studio McGee, they had a $59 million top line revenue. Wow. And they just got a $6 million minority fractional investment. I don't know what their total valuation was but they gave up a tiny piece of their business for $6 million. Wow. Unispace, which is primarily in the commercial world. Unispace got acquired in 2019. CPE Capital bought them. They had 72 million in top line revenue, 13 million in profit. Any guess on how much they sold for? Hmm. 72 million in revenue, 13 million in profit. They sold for 400 million. Wow. Which is a 31 times multiple. Oh, yikes. That's crazy. The bigger you get, the more you are worth 
exponentially. Mm. It's not, hey, I'm twice as big, I'm worth twice as much. It's, I'm twice as big, I'm worth five times as much. That's crazy. So there's your why. If you can get your business from a million dollars to $2 million, you're taking your valuation from you know, half a million dollars to maybe a million and a half mm-hmm. in, in your pocket. Now the how. There's two ways to grow a company. Organically, meaning bring on new clients and service those clients and do the marketing and bring them in and sell them the services and bill them and take, get their money and keep all that operational or acquire them. Are there firms out there that are related to your business, either direct competitors, co-operators, which are competitors that you cooperate with that are friends of yours, or just somebody out there in the same space that you can literally go and buy their business, roll their business in, roll that portfolio of clients in, roll that revenue in, and exponentially increase the value of your company in doing so? I guarantee you there are. Mm. Are there businesses in your supply chain that you are currently paying money to or they are paying money to you who could make investments that you could acquire. We're doing business inside this ecosystem with each other, mm-hmm. but we're all growing together. So all of these other, and, and by the way, I don't do, I do very few majority acquisitions. I do primarily minority, meaning mm. If I was to buy your company, I would buy 20% of it or 30% of it and let you keep running and doing what you do best. But I would add on top of that a certain amount of value. So all my companies, which is also how I can only work an hour a week on them. So all my companies are still you know, fully functional. They're, they're excited. They're growing. And they know they're in that same mathematical model. You know, I'm taking a company that was you know, doing a million dollars and they want to do $5 million. Well, how are they going to get to $5 million? I'm going to bring them a ton of business because we're going to bring them businesses from our portfolios. So do you have a vendor who could make a good company you could acquire? Do you have Mm -hmm. a partner that you could make a good company you could acquire? And very small acquisitions, there's a concept called aqua-hire, which is a combination of acquisition and hire. So is there a great designer out there who's a one or two person shop? And as a company, their business isn't worth that much. As we know, it's at most two and a half times profits, which which for a solo business is high. And most solo businesses sell for one times profits. Mm. But could you hire them and bring, they bring their book of business, they bring that profit from that book of business, bring them into your organization. They, a lot of times, especially in the artistic and creative fields, they hate running a business. They just want to design. They don't want to do bookkeeping. They don't want to do billing. They don't want to do customer and client relations. They don't want to go out and sell their services. They want to do what they want to do. Can you provide all that back office and infrastructure to them? If so, and take the weight off their shoulders, they may be interested in coming on and working on your team and bringing that book, book of business. So an aqua hire is, I will hire you. You got to bring your book of business. I'm buying you and your book. And what's the value in that? Find something that's fair for everybody. You start growing your team, but more importantly, you start growing your bottom line. And you don't have to go out and sell new clients. They're coming to you mm-hmm. through that acquire. Wow. This is a, a really fascinating conversation. I think we could probably keep going for another I know. <laughs> I know you have some sort of time so. limit though, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, there kind of probably is. And I didn't want to miss this one topic that I thought was so fascinating that you and I had um, in our last talk. And you were talking about the fact that you like to go and do 
sporting activities or fun activities with people before you do business with them. So tell us a little bit about that. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So well, we were talking about Colorado. That's just one of the reasons I'm in Colorado a lot. So my business is adventurous marketing. And the whole concept here is there are studies that prove that you are, your communication improves, your creativity improves, your overall health and well-being improves, and your immunity improves. That's very important today when you are outside. So I'm very much an outside guy. So I am always whitewater rafting, jumping off cliffs, hiking up to the top of mountains, mountain biking, you name it. I love that kind of stuff. I'm out there all the time, riding my motorcycle, you name it. What I have found is that when you're trying to do business with somebody, there's one level of business that can be done on Zoom. There's another level of business when you could actually meet them for a cup of coffee. Just that physical proximity adds a whole new layer and dimension, right? But you go above and beyond that and you do something outdoors and adventure with them. Go skiing, go rafting, go mountain climbing. And hopefully something happens that makes it a really miserable time. Some more part of it, not the whole thing, part of it. (laughs) Because how people handle adversity and how they handle stress is very telling and how they handle it in their personal lives is how they're going to handle it in their business lives. So I like to go on a, on a trip with somebody and take them up in the mountains backpacking or take them somewhere and you'll really get to know the real them. They'll get to know the real you and the bonds you will form when you spend time sitting around late at night with the stars above you and the campfire in front of you telling stories about your life. You get to know people on a level you would never get sitting in a conference room or even out to a fancy dinner. So that's why I live my life as the adventurous marketer, which is what, uh, what you know, I've branded myself as the last couple of years. And I found that when, you, when we first started this conversation, you know, what do you do? Well, I'm a consultant. I have a big deal. How many consultants <laughs> are there? I am a consultant. I'm proud of that. I'm, I, you know, I'm a marketing guy. You know, how many marketing guys are out there? there? There's a million of them. But I take things to the next level and I try to go deeper with the people that I work with. And, and, and it's all about relationships. And I've just found that when I spend time in the outdoors with the people I work with, uh, our relationships just get so much stronger. Mm, I love, I that. love that. I love that. Well, I know that we were talking um, before we started the call today about how the event that we all met up at, we actually did land at your dinner table. You had a special dinner and you had a plan around that. I remember Gail a couple of weeks ago said, I just ran into Marty the other day. And I'm like, I think he gave us like made luggage tags out of our business cards, like very (laughs) memorable things. Because I remember sitting at that table. I had no idea it was your dinner table, but I remember sitting there. So um, do you want to talk just a little bit about these memorable experiences? Even though we were outside, it was still an experience. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron, for that. Yeah. So, so at that event, this was a, I there were probably three or 400 people at that event, if I'm not mistaken. And I decided, I booked a, a private room and I, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to invite 12 people that I know, like, and trust at, to dinner. And I'm going to le- let each one of them bring one person. And so I can't, I, I can't remember which one of you were the no like, and trust and which one of you were the guests. <laughs> it was probably Aaron. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, pro- I, I probably was. I was like, Hey, Aaron, you want to go dinner? And you're like, yeah, I got to bring Gail though. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> <Not> darn. <laughs> so, uh, so I put, so I put, there were 25 of us in that room. There were 12 guests of mine and they, they brought 12 guests and we just went around the room and 
we just had a really powerful networking event and, and it was really, I've gone on to do business with many of the people who were in that room. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm in a, I, I'm a big fan of masterminding and my oldest standing mastermind group, I started in 2005. And one of the members of that mastermind group was in that dinner with us. And she's still in my mastermind group to this day. We meet every other Tuesday morning and have since 2005. And I've done business with several of them. We've partnered on things. All of them can call me. And even though we haven't been that close over the years, but that's part of what led us today, right? Me hosting that dinner in 2008 led to us talking to your audience in 2021 and hopefully delivering them content that will help their businesses. That's mm-hmm. the goal of today's, today's talk. And so everything you do has an impact. Everything that you say, everything that you are has an impact on somebody down the road. Those luggage tags, I did luggage tags for years and years and years with the customized business card. I, I, my assistant used to do those retired. I've got a new assistant. She doesn't do luggage tags for me anymore, but those are coming back. Uh, I did away with them for years. You know, Gail is a big fan of laminators. She loves <laughs> laminators. Yes. I'm like, oh, it's laminated. It's so this laminated. means it's I, important. <laughs> I love I, it. I've got to tell you, those luggage tags, I got to a point where a lot of conferences I would go to and speak and whatnot, I would have people come to me, I've changed companies. Can I get a new one? And all this kind of stuff. And they <laughs> seek me out because they would, they would want those. That's been the most simple but effective branding and business development strategy because it, it's brought me mm-hmm. clients galore and people have remembered me for, I, I've been doing those business, those laminated business cards for probably pushing 20 years now. And uh, yeah, it's one thing that people remember. So those are coming back with under, under the it. new brand. It's really funny because I launched this whole new brand in, in, in December of 2019 and the whole world, world shut down in March of 2020. So I, I, I got held back on doing it, but now it's starting to come back. And so I'm really excited to, to relaunch some of that. So. Oh, how That's exciting. Great. We'll have to actually print business cards with our new brand. <laughs> I know, I know. Erin, I'm going to turn it back to you to ask the question we always ask. Sure. So Marty, what three things would you like to leave with our listeners to take home um, to their businesses today? All right, I will make you a deal. I will answer that question, but I would like you and Gail to each answer that question as well. Deal? Okay. All right. So what are the three takeaways that each of you got? And you guys can think about it for a minute while I talk. All right. So three things that I want your listeners to take away. So number one is that there's more than one way to grow a business. And it doesn't always mean having to sell more of your product and service. Number two, it is possible and dare I say, almost easy to buy a business without having to use much, if any, of your own money. We really didn't get into that today, but it's, it's there. Number three, if you aren't having fun in your business, stop now and figure out how to make that happen because life is too short not to be having a ball doing what you have to do every single day. Mm, love, love it. That. Well, I've got three. All right, let's hear them. Okay. So the first one, don't use a business broker. I love that. Everybody that I have talked to that is trying to sell a business, honestly, I've not heard anybody that has actually been successful using a business broker. Oh, thank you for validating my stat. (laughs) Yeah, it is not a big stat, but it's something. And the second one is that acquisition is a very smart tactic and it takes less than you think to do that. And the other thing is, which is kind of like the 10X strategy that 
uh, other consultants will talk about a lot is it's better to 10x your business because it's worth more as you grow your business. So I think those are three big takeaways that I took. Okay. And for me, the whole idea of acquisitions and learning all about that, and it's so interesting for me to learn about and you know, really looking at growing businesses, obviously like our business is growing and I've been along on that path with Gail for the last almost 16 years, but it's becoming less scary and more exciting to me. Um, so number one, continue to grow the business because we will continue to reap the rewards of growing a bigger business. Like I was saying, the fact that you can be a minority investor in a business. And so the people are still running the business, but you can help with your skills and also with your dollars for that business. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing is do more business outside. I love that. Uh, I took my kids tubing a couple of weeks ago for spring Ah, break up in Frazier. And I was thinking about it and I was telling the team about it the other day. And all of these kind of light bulbs, like they all kind of like got excited about it. And I was like, oh, I need to add that to the list. Talk to Gail about like, I need to take our Colorado people tubing. Like that'd be such a great team building thing. And so I would love to be doing more things like that outside, especially as restrictions are lifting and things are getting safer and people are getting vaccinated. I'm excited to to be a people again. Yeah. Well, I know, I know, Gail, you guys run a um, a multitude of kind of masterminds and Mm -hmm. in-person intensives and things like that. I don't know how much outside stuff you do, but, and, and again, you, you got to know your audience and you got to, you got to, you got to gauge the level of intensity that your audience is willing to do. I mean, sometimes it could be uh, bikes in the park, right? I've mentioned one event we did, you know, which was a, a picnic in San Francisco. It was a picnic in the park and then a bike ride across the Golden Gate Bridge. Mm. And that's, you know, that was really cool, but it's not jumping off a cliff, but it still has the same kind of feel of uniqueness and memory and, 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 bonding that, that, um, that, uh, can help. So yeah, do, do more of that. I think you'll see a real upswing in the relationship building and, and, and just the strengths of the human connection. Well, we've only done exciting things like miniature golf, a bonfire on the beach, <laughs> bocce ball. So we've done some things like that. Nothing that is quite as adventurous as your things that you do. Well, you get, you get people really scared. They really uh, show their true colors. So, <laughs> Well, Marty, it's been such a pleasure having you on today. And thank you so much for your time. And most of all, thank you for your generosity with how much you shared. I know that I learned a ton on this call just in this last few minutes. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. And, you know, anytime I can answer any questions for you or help you both out, Um, I'm here and feel free to reach out and and I hope that this has been beneficial for your listeners and and, uh, will help them to to be happier in their business because that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Marty. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast and we really hope you learned some ideas and concepts for how you might grow your business through mergers and acquisitions. If you want to get in touch with Marty to learn more or ask additional questions, please visit his website at adventurousmarketing.com. That's adventurousmarketing.com. Next week, we have interior designers, Christy Barber and Christy Spangle, co-founders and partners of Barber Spangle Design in High Point, North Carolina, joining us to discuss how a good business partnership is like a good marriage. Be sure to save the date also for our upcoming five-day financial challenge, September 27th through October 1st, at noon Eastern. 
I'll be sharing more details about this very soon. We'll see you then. 